Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello, everyone. This is Paul Brennan, PGA professional with Believe in Tennessee Golf here on the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? Our show is a breakdown of all things golf in the volunteer state. We will cover men's and women's golf tournaments, professional amateur events, and dive into junior golf as well. We will talk to the players, the instructors, and the organizers. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and rate the show on iTunes. You can also find us on your favorite directory, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminaire, and TuneIn. You can find us at Believe.com or at Believe Podcast. You can also follow me on Instagram at pbrandon 21 or on Twitter at QIC, at QIC underscore golf pro. So we're winding down the last week in August. Um, PJ Tour is kicking. We're seeing a lot of play. We're into the FedEx co- uh, playoffs. Mickles has made his transition to the Champions Tour. Congratulations on his first win at the Bass Pro Shop event there in Arkansas. Uh, Pro-Ams are kicking around here. We're starting to see junior golf teeing off as well for uh, school events, middle school, high school, things like that. We're going to dive into the Pro-Am series. First of all, here in Nashville at Nashville Golf Club, congratulations to Lauren Personette shooting a 66, winning that one. Audie Johnson coming in second with a 69, and Randy Helton coming in third with a 73. Moving to the West Tennessee, Memphis. Timber Trust event, Brian Wood, Rafe Quarter, shooting 67. Congrats, guys, on that tie for number one. John Going finishing third with 69, and Dave Hendricks shooting 71 in fourth. Moving over to Knoxville at Links at Kahiti. Congrats to James Chapman for winning that event. Byron Williams. God, he's going to kill me because I said his name wrong. Byron Williams coming in second place. Moving to the Tri-Series at Clear Creek. Congrats, Chris Woods, friend of the show. Shooting 69. Chris has really been playing some solid golf this year. Again, you can find all those results at tngolf.org. That's where the TGA, the Tennessee PGA, the Golf Foundation, and... The Junior Golf Associations all post their sites. You can find the respected links there and travel through and see what you're looking for, junior, professional, amateur events. So heading into the viewers or the listeners' questions this week. First question coming in from Max. And Max is asking how to handle the first tee jitters. Well, first of all, Max, the thing I will tell you about the first tee is that it's not the jitters, but more of a rush of emotion for excitement. It's just the way your body handles a new and exciting situation. And the way I talk to my students about it, if you're putting yourself in that position to be nervous, you're putting yourself in a position to do something fun and exciting. So you got to accept those. Um, best players in the world have to handle this. There's no immunity to it, but it's finding their own system. Uh, one of the biggest things I talk about is pre-round warm-up and pre-shot routine. And, and these are just some things that you're going to go through the process every time. Make sure you get your mind mentally right to hit the shots. Um, too many times I've been running late for uh, an enjoyable round with some friends and not be able to get to the range and hit some shots. And it comes out, it's, it's tough, first couple of holes, then all of a sudden I, I find groove, I get loosened up, and I can play a little bit better. Um when you go through, I've found greater success hitting good quality shots off the first tee when I actually get to the range and have a chance to go through a normal warm-up round. 
um, and, and just making solid contact there. So the things I talk about in the pre-round warm-up, and I went through this uh, several years ago. I went through and looked at uh, Ricky Fowler's, Jordan Spieth's, Jason Day's, Dustin Johnson's, and uh, Roy McIlroy's pre-shot routine. Just went to YouTube and, and typed up golf pre-shot routines, and a series of things popped up. And all of those other than Ricky have been the world number one um, over the past several years. But what I started to notice is they did nothing identical, but they all kind of did the same things. Um, and so the gist of what I saw is most of the players would go to the first to the putting green first and they would just roll some putts. Um, whether it was a distinctive number, I think Ricky rolls 27 um, putts. I don't know of what length. I didn't see that. But you notice that they had they do the same things every time. And then from that, they would go to the driving range or they'd go to a chipping area, um, depending on the course and where they're at, and hit some shots. And then they'd all transition back to the putting green. So using that mentality, I came up with my own. Um, where I, I go take a couple of golf balls to the putting green, and I'll roll 10 putts, which is a total of 20, um, 10 different locations. Then I go hit some chip shots, and then I go to the range, and I hit my detailed so many wedges, so many nine irons, things like that, all the way through the bag. And then I come back, and I play nine holes putting with just one ball, all inside 20 feet, just trying to get a feel, and then I make five five-footers and then head to the tee box. So that's mine. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's my pre-round warm up. but I use that just to make sure that I've done everything. That way I don't have any feelings. So when I get to the first tee, it's not really like it's the first tee. It could be the, you know, the third day in a row I've played or whatever. Uh, it's just relaxed. Uh, and then when we go into pre-shot routine, I, I got into this several years ago, um, reading several sports psychology books, um, Zen Golf by Dr. Joseph Parent, uh, Golf is Not a Game of Perfect by Dr. Bob Rotella, and they all really stressed pre-shot routine. So, Max, um, when you start to watch the tour this week, uh, whether you're watching the Champions Tour with Mickelson and the guys, or you're watching the PGA Tour in the, in the playoffs and everybody trying to make their way um, to that championship for the FedEx Cup, start to notice a couple of players, and I don't care who you pick, but just notice what they do before. And we're seeing enough TV coverage right now. You'll actually see them do the conversations with the caddy. And you'll you'll notice the little twitches or the, the rotations. I know I was watching Mickelson's win uh, yesterday. And he has a little putter twirl that he does when he's walking up to the ball. I've got the same twirl. I didn't realize I stole that one from Mickelson. But I'll admit it, I must have. Um, but again, there's just that little just nervous energy, things that you transfer it, uh, and help. So by going through and using a really good pre-round and a good, a really good pre-shot routine, the first hole is not any different than the second, um, and you can go through that whole process. So Max, your homework to get over the first tee jitters uh, is to watch a little bit more golf, isolate a couple of players who are playing well, um, and just notice what they do beforehand. I know um, the simplest one I ever heard was Freddie Couples, uh, and all he did is visualize the best shot he'd ever hit with that club. He shrugged his shoulders just to loosen them up because he's always struggled with some back issues. But that was his whole pre-shot routine. Um, so work on a pre-round, work on a pre-shot routine, get out there, try and beat those first tee jitters. But remember, the butterflies are just a natural reaction to emotion. You're excited. You put yourself in a position. So enjoy it. 
don't fight it, but learn to live with it. Hope that's helped you out a lot there, Max. So our next question is coming in from Joel. And Joel was asking, how many shots does a caddy help? And I, he goes on to talk about earlier in the season when they didn't think caddies were going to be on the PGA Tour. And a lot of comments were, how much do they help? And, and he was curious about that question. And so he brings it back up. And yeah, I could really talk this about a lot because the event I played in last week, a buddy of mine caddied for me on the second day. And it's it's amazing at, at what those guys can do. Um, I remember an article several months ago. I can't remember which magazine it was in. Um, but they talked about probably over the course of a year on the PJ Tour, a good caddy is 10 to 15 shots a year, which doesn't seem like much. But it is the difference between hosting most many trophies or not keeping your card and, and, and searching for a job the next year. So... Because you've got to think about it, the, the caddies on tour, they work for the player. That mean they're best friends. They're not hanging out every night. They're not staying in the same hotel rooms. They're, it's a business relationship. Um, and, and so, just like we've seen, you know, we'll use Bones as an example with Mickelson as I was talking about him winning. Um, when Bones was on Mickelson's bag for so long, Bones had a veto. When Mickelson was going to cry a crazy shot, Bones was allowed to call him off of it. Now, Mickelson would make the ultimate decision and may veto the veto, but that was a whole different thing. But you had to be able to get along with a guy or girl, say the words they need to hear when they need to hear it, get them fired up, get them emotional, or calm them down in the moment and, and not get away from it. Um, you look at, and I'm picking on Mickelson here for a second, He's won 40-something times on the PGA Tour. Second most all-time wins currently on the PGA behind Tiger. And how many more would he have won coming into the last hole if he'd had the discipline to not hit driver? We know he would have a U.S. Open, um, and he would have his career grand slam um, if that year at, I believe it was Wingfoot, if he had not hit driver off and made the, the big number to, to go into the playoff and lose. Um, so if he had just taken an iron, which we've seen Tiger do numerous times with a, a multiple-shot lead on the last hole and just make bogey to win, um, but that was not Mickelson's mentality. And so Bones was always, for them to be together so long, Bones knew when to talk to him and when not to talk to him about it and, and when to kind of pull him off the shots. And so that right there is limitless on how many shots – he saved Mickelson or, or kept Mickelson from making mistakes over the years. Um, he, like said, a friend of mine was caddying for me last week, and there were several locations where you know I'm looking at a pin and I've got what I consider a scoring club in my hand, and he's like, no, don't shoot at this one. Let's just hit it out to the middle of the green. Um, leave ourselves a 20, 25-footer because if you go flag hunting and you miss it, now there's slopes, there's bunkers, there's mounds and things like that. And again, you can kind of figure that one out yourself, but he's been caddying this course for almost 20 years now that we've known each other. And, you know, it just, he said it like, okay, I won't listen to it. Um, same thing on, on some breaking putts. You know, I'm reading it to do something. And, you know, the green reading on the tour has gotten a lot more detailed with the introduction of the green books and things like that. So the guys have mapping systems to know percentages or degrees of slope depending on how they want to look at it and they can all kind of isolate what it's doing but you have to marry that speed to that line and so if you've got a die putter um, then 
whatever the book says, you've got to add a little bit to it, and you've got to be able to convince him of that. Um, and if you've got a speed putter, the guy firms it in there, whatever the book says, you've got to subtract a little bit. And, and so the caddy, and I've joked and called them handlers for years because they're the ones that are handling the clubs, but handling the player. Um, you got to know when to speak up and get your guy or girl fired up, bring them back. Um, but I will tell you that any time I go out, I'm going to shoot two to three shots better. Um, if I've got a caddy in my bag that I respect, trust, and they know the golf course. Now, there's a difference between someone just toting my clubs. And I've had that over the years where friends of mine have helped me out. And they were just uh, a, a, a warm body to carry the clubs for me. Um, and, you know, I've played good in those tournaments as well. But it's just the stress of not having to clean my clubs, not deal with that. Um, but if I've got a, if I've got a solid caddy on my bag, it's, it's two to three shots easily I'm knocking off. Um, I mean, that was a six shot improvement from the round without a caddy, uh, to the round with a caddy for me last week. Now there's different golf courses, so it's not always a fair comparison. Um, but he, he definitely helped me through a lot of decision making and put myself in really good positions. So how many shots is it worth? Each pro would answer it completely different, Joel. But at the end of the day, the caddy is the person who's doing all the homework, finding out the slopes of the greens, the speed, the where you want to hit it, the where you want to miss it. And the, the players, the most times, are just accepting the information. Um, and when that happens, it's a really good thing. When the players start to fight a little bit or, or argue back with it, that causes some tension. And that's why you've seen a lot of caddies on tour only run two or three years with a with a player before they move on then again it's just a, a conflict of personalities um it's not often we see the the marriage that we saw out of bones mckay and phil mickelson for somebody to be together that long so joel um if you have the opportunity to play a golf course that has a caddy i highly recommend it um i, I know uh pinehurst has an amazing caddy system up there so if you can make a trip up there um most of your courses have gone away from it, but you're more resort um, and some of your exclusive private clubs will have it. So just give it a try next time. If they've got a caddy service, take somebody out and see what you think it'll help you in those shots. So Joel, um, do your research, find out how to do it, but trust your caddy in all situations. Okay, moving on to the next question. This one comes in from Tommy. Tommy wants to know the best way to practice scoring. He says he's been working on his uh, swing all offseason, was ready, prepped to play, um, felt like he's hitting his irons and driver and, and the best he's hit them in a long time because the amount of time he could dedicate to it um, with not as much responsibility having to be in the office as much. But he doesn't feel like his scoring has improved. He wants to know how he can practice scoring and get better at it. Well, Tommy, in several several editions, I've talked about things to do, working on your putting around the house, even chipping, um, some challenges I've thrown out to people there um, uh, about chipping inside the circles or the towels and the, using the putting greens at the house. Um, but what I find to really work on my scoring is I go to shorter golf courses, um, courses that it's not a necessity to hit long bombs, um, and, and that you can, you know, as long as you drive it straight enough, you can work with it. Um, I'm fortunate enough here to have a little par 3 course uh, in Middle Tennessee that we can go out to. And shots range anywhere from 50 to 180 yards. But really just to get to work on my irons and my scoring. Um, 
other games that we used to play, and I know I've talked about this one before, uh, growing up in the, the small little West Tennessee town I had, we had a putting green uh, that we chipped into, and it had two green, or two holes in it, a very small putting green. Me and uh, a junior who was a little older than me, and then um, another one my age, and a couple just a year or two younger than us, we would always meet up there, and we had a nine-hole or nine tee boxes around that putting green that we played from and so we'd play 18 hole chipping contest against each other um and we had two different holes so you played the this one first and you played to that one second you were hitting this from the same locations but because the downhill slopes the elevations the distance of green to work with all the shots were always different um and, and so when i was doing that consistently i felt like i chipped in two or three around when i was growing up in high school um, just because I did that more than anything. We had a driving range when we were nine-hole course. When we built the additional nine and got, went to an 18-hole course, we lost the driving range for a little while um, before they acquired some land to, to move it over there. And, and so chipping and putting was the only thing that we could do between rounds while we were waiting on other groups. Um, again, a lot of times in the summer we'd go out there and meet up and, and play an 18-hole contest, and then we'd go play nine holes, and then we'd come back and, and play a, another 18-hole contest uh, on the chipping green and go back out and play nine more holes and put a good nine or ten hours in a day. And, you know, almost half of that would just be chipping and putting, just working on the short game. So, Tommy, I really highly recommend finding yourself a shorter golf course. Now, you're seeing a lot of the places – put in the chipping greens or even building some little par three short courses. Um, there's always somewhere you can sneak out and, and do this type of work with, but just really work on scoring from a hundred yards and in. I know um, when a couple of my friends played at Tennessee tech uh, coach made them do one round a week from a hundred yards and in. And so they may go out with the, the other players on the team who are actually doing qualifying rounds for the 18s, but they would just carry their wedges and their putter, um, and they would drop it 100 yards. So even if it was a par 3 or a par 5 or a par 4, they played from 100 yards and in. Um, so that's always a really good scoring tool to work on there. Um, but I love the little courses. Uh, there's generally a par 3 course in all your bigger cities. I know it's a little tougher to find in the small areas that I grew up in. But we had the ability to sneak out on the golf course, or I say sneak out, get a tee time and go out and play. Um, but, you know, hit our tee shots, hit our irons, our drives, whatever we did, and then let's play from this spot. Let's work on punching out of the trees and getting up next to the hole. And, and so the best way you can practice your, your, your scoring is by doing it, but it's not trying to do the whole round. It's not hitting tee shots. It's not hitting every iron shot. It's not playing you know, 500-yard par fours. Um, it's about playing shots around the green in the shots that you can work, control, and get up and down to save that round. So, Tommy, I hope that helps. Uh, hopefully where you're at does have a little par three course that you could sneak out to. Um, if not, start going to the driving range and kind of creating your own holes or, or find a local club that has a chipping green that you can kind of go out and work on your game there. Next one comes in from Eric. Um, he said he was watching the Golf Channel the other day, and they talked about the driver getting a little spinny. What did they mean by that? 
Well, Eric, a lot of times the commentators are telling things that they feel. We have a very experienced uh, golf crew now. We've got guys that have won majors, been playing on tour for years, um, that have found their way into the commentator's booth. We've got Nick Faldo with six majors, uh, David Duvall, former number one player in the world during the Tiger Woods era. Um, we've got uh, Trip Eisenhower. We've got Robert Dameron. Guys, again, who, who've played in one on the big tours doing a lot of commentating. And, and a lot of times when we we discuss between golfers uh, a shot that's called spinny, just means we had a little bit too much backspin on it. We can see it come out and just start climbing up, and it's losing distance. Um, so there's a couple things that can cause a driver getting a little too spinny or creating too much backspin. Most of the times in the fitting mode, I'm looking at loft or shaft. Uh, in most cases, a 12-degree driver is going to have more backspin than a 9-degree driver. That's just the physics of it. Now, there's manipulations people can make to counter that. So I'm not going out on a limb and saying a 12-degree is always going to spin more. But the, the normal tendency is we see more spin on a higher lofted driver. Um, the other thing is can be the shaft. Now, you've got golf shafts of various flexes and weights and things like that. Um, so, again, that's more on the fitting side. But what they're referring to on the course is... The player is doing something under golf swing that's creating a little bit more spin. Uh, I know I have one of my students who actually sent me a very similar text uh, not too long ago. And he fights a very steep swing. Uh, when he first came to me, his motion was very steep and down at the ball. Um, and it would cause his shots to, to really rise up and lose a lot of distance. Uh, and so we've worked on shallowing his plane. And for us, we're working on something in the wrist to kind of help with that. Um, but generally just means they're adding loft throughout the swing, whether it's the shaft, the club, or something in their swing that, that's causing an additional loft. And you're going to lose a little bit of distance when you hit that spinny shot. Um, the other thing is that you'll hear them a lot of times say when it's spinny, it kind of leaks off to the right for a right-hand player. And it just means that they had the face a little open, which can, would add loft um, at impact, but it just creates a little bit of rightward spin. Um, you'll see that with your, your bombers of Kepka and, and Dustin. Where they um, the hit a little shot that just kind of gets a little bit higher than normal, which uh, a lot of times on TrackMan you'll notice Dustin's golf ball stays pretty consistently around 120 feet in the air, um, but every now and then you'll see it climb up to a 140, uh, 140 feet, and then those are the shots that just got a little bit away from and got a little high. Still play, still go far enough, um, just they're losing some carry distance because the amount of backspin so eric i hope that helps with the spinny conversation but uh, if you feel like your clubs are getting your drivers getting a little spinny get on a track man get on a launch monitor look at some ball speed numbers and it may be something with some golf ball you're playing um i mean a higher spin golf ball is going to create more curvature and more backspin so moving to a slightly firmer golf ball or a lower spin golf ball might take care of some of that but the commentators are basically just meaning they add a little bit loft they got underneath it and it kind of ballooned up so Hopefully that helps. Well, everybody, I'm going to cut you out this week. Again, this is Paul Brennan, PGA professional, Believe in Tennessee Golf. You're on the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. If you like the show, please subscribe and rate us on iTunes. You can also find us on your favorite directories of Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminaire, and TuneIn. You can aggravate me on Instagram at pbrandon21 or on Twitter at QIC underscore golf pro. Or you can follow us on Believe.com or at Believe Podcast. Get out, play some this week. Be safe. Watch out for the rain coming in. But get there, have fun, play well.
For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.